FASWA is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswhat.com. This is Saswa, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Southeast Ohio. And we are returning to you with a, a kind of a catch-up episode, something a little different from the norm. It is still a very busy time for both of us. Uh, it's a huge week for Mark, actually, I just found out. It is uh, G-Fest, which is yes. uh, this massive... Godzilla-themed con, correct? That is correct. The largest gathering of Godzilla fans in North America. Mm -hmm. And it starts this Thursday. Didn't you do, like, panels and stuff last last year? I've done panels before, Mm -hmm. and this year I am once again shepherding the programming for kids Mm -hmm. at G-Fest. And I'm also on a panel about music from the Godzilla films. Wow. <clears throat> that is uh, that is intense. So, how do you talk about Godzilla music for like what is it like a two hour panel, an hour panel? Oh heavens, no! It's uh, like forty five, fifty minutes. Okay. And uh, well, I mean, in this case, I got drafted for this panel because we'll actually be doing some acapella singing. Oh wow! Of Akira Ifukube's music, and it's. Um, should be pretty fun and wacky. Yeah. Tempted to have you give us a sample while we're here. But um, <laughs> so uh, this past week we had the Minerva Monster screening at the Canton Palace Theater in Canton. And you came up, Mark. And yeah. we should have recorded. I wish we could have recorded something while you were up. I didn't even think of it for some reason. But um, uh, a couple things, too, before I get to that. If, if you notice my volume going up and down or whatever... My my apologies. I am going to try and get it fixed before we record the next episode. But as of right now, Google's just doing whatever it wants, seemingly. So uh, it has taken control of my recording program, and it's literally even with my even like I'm sitting here holding my thumb on the button, like trying to adjust the volume, and it's still <laughs> taking control of it somehow. So it's a gremlin. Yeah, it's like Skynet or something like. Google is in control of my computer. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, the Canton Palace Theater screening, which is like this amazing uh, movie theater in downtown Canton, uh, which is a town pretty close to where I grew up. And the the palace is one of the only remaining movie houses in America that is was designed by this specific architect. I can't remember the guy's name or anything, but there, there was apparently a whole slew of these movie palaces at one time and now there's only a few of them i think the akron civic center is comparable to this um personally i i kind of prefer the the palace but i'm biased but um we got to show the movie there you came up andy came up uh shannon legro came up it was almost like a reunion uh in mm-hmm. a way because it was a lot of us you know the whole small time monsters crew and you were there and um 
Just a, a really cool turnout, though. They did tell us that this was like the biggest turnout they had had for an event um, on a Thursday night, which is their art film night, which I get a kick out of Minerva Monster. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah being a, it is an art, an film, art film, right? Um, <laughs> it was like their biggest... Uh, it's Merchant Ivory right? and Seth Breedlove. Yeah, it's like a Spike Jones movie. Francois <laughs> um, <laughs> Truffaut. Um, so yeah, biggest, like one of their biggest turnouts in ages, I guess. So we had a few hundred people, well, 200 and some people, possibly 300. I heard so many different numbers, uh, and we managed to get that kind of a turnout in only, I think we had like a little over two weeks to, to kind of promote the movie. And, uh, again, like our marketing budget is non-existent, so it was impressive to me. We we went super grassroots on this thing. We printed posters and hung them all over town. And I did. I managed to get one radio interview um, mm-hmm. going into it. But yeah, a really cool turnout. And there's a little video I put online, and you can see Mark and Andy and myself in that video. But um, we did get to do like a Q and A with the sheriff and Barbara. So that was really cool. So that was great. I really liked that part of it too. Yeah, and then we did dinner afterward. Um, with you guys and yeah it was it was awesome it's it, i don't know if people know this but like mark lives what two hours from me yeah yeah so like yes. mark and i really only see each other uh at the well typically like we see each other at the conference obviously but we we've probably only hung out now like five times maybe right five times i think is yeah correct so it's it's a hoof if we want to hang out, but we still have to do something at some point this summer because I still want to do this like Sasquatch video show. It's still something I want to try to do. So um, we have letters, and that is going to be the topic of this week's show. We're not going to really get into anything uh, too crazy. Um, no huge <laughs> uh, single topic. Philosophical. Yeah, nothing philosophical. Diatribes. Um, no interviews this week, nothing. I was trying originally this, like June was supposed to be our big interview month and it hasn't happened. We have one interview and I think we interviewed Brian and Daryl during May, if I'm not mistaken. Um, maybe that was June. I don't remember. All right. This is July now. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. So, uh, we got a message on Facebook from Tracy Halderman and, uh, he, he said, this question is meant mainly for Seth. I would like to know your opinion on the eyewitness accounts of thousands of people. I find it all but impossible to believe that all of them were either lying, misidentifying, delusional, or drunk, slash on drugs. I've never seen a Bigfoot, but the testimonies of many credible witnesses, such as soldiers, police officers, forest workers, hunters, and even children, convinced me that something was going on that defied a typical explanation. As a skeptic, I would like to know how you view all of these accounts and stories, what with many being full-view daytime sightings. I love your podcast and the Minerva Monster documentary that you directed and respect your skepticism and fairness to the subject. Please feel free to answer this question on Saswa if you wish to. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Tracy, and uh, thanks for the compliment on Minerva as well. Uh, and Mark, I think you should answer this as well because we're actually both pretty skeptical. But uh, we just talked a little bit about this during the Q&A the other day. Um, I the, the thing that keeps me... Uh, involved in the subject and keeps me thinking there's something going on is the, the eyewitness testimony because I don't have a, a, an answer for a lot of those. Not a lot, but a handful of those. Um, and the, 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 you know, like you said, credible witnesses especially um, make me question things. So I always go back to the NAWAC and it's not just because I'm a member of the group, but like the 
guys that are in the NAWAC, a lot of those, a lot of those dudes are really legit. You know, like former military or um, law enforcement, that kind of stuff, and um, very intelligent people in that organization. Kathy and Bob Strain spring to mind, and they've both seen something, and it's almost impossible for me to say, well, they're crazy, or Brian Brown's crazy, or they're misidentifying a black bear. That rain of rocks that came off the hills, uh, redneck deliverance folk. But, but, um, but the problem for me is I get it. Like eyewitness testimony is great and everything, but like at the end of the day, why don't we have a body? Why don't we have photographic evidence? Why don't we have something really concrete? You know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of evidence. We don't have proof of any kind in my opinion. Um, but the, like you said, the, the stories and the eyewitness testimony is that's, that is what keeps me around i mean that's what keeps me thinking maybe there is something to all of this and um so yeah i'm like you i'm skeptical but i'm i would never say i'm i'm like just totally skeptical to the possibility of these things existing i think there's there's definitely something going on i don't know i don't know what it is i don't know if if what's going on is a giant bipedal ape Um, that seems to be what the evidence suggests. And that seems to be what the bulk of the eyewitness reports to me are suggesting. But at the end of the day, I just don't know, you know, if that's the explanation we have. I don't know. Mark chime in with the eyewitness account issue. I mean, I, I kind of follow along the same lines as you. There are the, the thing that makes it compelling, makes the issue interesting is hearing these, and the ones that Tracy talks about, you know, full daytime sightings, not like a shadow 500 yards off in the the forest, but, you know, people seeing things walk right in front of them, you know, raises a lot of questions. So, yeah, that's one side of the coin is that the uh, the stories that people tell, the accounts that they tell, they beg for an explanation. Um, now, the, the other side, the flip side, is that even eyewitness testimony is notoriously um, fallible. You know, there's people can be sure that they have certain memories, but every, you know, I w- after that message came through, I did a little researching on eyewitness testimony and memory, and there's a lot of literature out there that talks about how, you know, memories can be planted in people, and I'm not talking about, like, CIA stuff happening with uh, chemicals and things. I'm just mean, you can convince somebody that they had an experience just if the person that they trust is telling them, you know, when you were five or six years old, you fell in the pond. And you may not remember that, but if they tell you that enough, it will become something that you believe that you experienced. And I don't know how that necessarily applies to Bigfoot accounts, but I do think that as much as I, as I do feel like eyewitness testimony is compelling... And we probably wouldn't be talking about Bigfoot if it weren't for eyewitness testimony. Um, To just say all this eyewitness, even the daytime sightings, just show that there is something out there. Well, I I don't know that that's true. Or if, you know, assuming that they did see something, we still don't have a clear idea of what that is. And a lot of the skeptical writers that we've talked about, you know, they attempt to answer that question by saying it's a construct of our psyche. I'm not sure I buy that either. I think that came through 
uh, the episodes that we've done. So, I mean, in the end, we're left with a with a big question mark, you know, far more questions than even directions in which to go to get an answer. Yeah. And that's why, well, I mean, for myself, that's why I'm still in it. Um, that's why it keeps me around. We, we did get a letter I wanted to mention uh, from Alex, and he said, I noticed that you guys took serious umbrage with one of the skeptical authors declaring all tracks false. Oh. What I can't figure out is why. If his premise is that Bigfoot is not a real entity, logically it follows that all tracks are not Bigfoot tracks. I doubt he said they are all faked. I'm sure misidentification is the largest contingent to that and most all skeptics. On a slight side note, double tap bear tracks really are quite a compelling explanation. Direct register walkers tend to make some strange tracks, but it's not that strange when you know what you're seeing. On a larger side note, Bigfoot, as the exaggerated Mega Man, makes perfect sense. The argument of, well, how do you explain so many cultures having Harry Man legends is actually more proof that there is nothing factual going on. Uh, of course, we have all those legends. It explains why we all see him. We all have to. Without getting into the intricacies of dermal ridges and mid-tarsal breaks, we can keep this simple. I th think we likely should. Um, speak up on, on that, because you're the one that knows what he's referring to with the yeah with the book. Yeah. Well, with all due respect to our listeners, <laughs> um, Dagling in Exposing Bigfoot does, in fact, make the claim that all track finds are fakes. Now, I, I would... I would invite him, if he hasn't done so, to take a look at Dagling's book because that is exactly what he says. And he doesn't talk about misidentification. He makes the claim that, you know, it, relative to especially the Pacific Northwest, but not limited to that, all of the clear tracks that have been put forward as bona fide Sasquatch tracks are faked and that it was a result of sort of a small group of fakers making a lot of, uh, you know, fake feet. And then there were actually uh, people unrelated to that small group who decided that sounded like a fun idea and of their own volition decided to do the same thing. Now, this is all, that's all speculation on his part, I'm pretty sure. I mean, based off of Ray Wallace, you know, once again, we come back to Ray. But that is his contention in this particular book. Yeah, and the double track bear tracks or double tap bear tracks, I completely agree. I th I think those account for a lot of quote unquote Bigfoot tracks, especially ones that are never seen by, you know, um, your footprint quote unquote experts. Like, what's his name? Meldrum. Um, uh, the, the the tracks that are never like looked over by those guys. Um, I, I think there's probably a huge percentage of them that are double double tap bear tracks. I'm I'm almost positive actually. And people say, well, there's no claw marks. Blah blah blah. They don't have to have claw marks. I've seen double tap bear tracks that didn't have claw marks. That can mm -hmm. that can go without, you know. Um. So yeah, I agree. I, I agree with a lot of what he says in this letter. I I totally in in like without getting into the intricacies of dermal ridges and and. The whole, the whole, what's this thing called? No, oh, mid-tarsal break, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, d dermal ridges, to me, has been pretty conclusively defeated, like, in a lot of ways, especially with the, you know, the artifacts of track casting being pretty much uh, universally declared to be the reason there are 
dermal ridges in some of these casts. Um, it sucks because when because <laughs> when the dermal ridge thing came out, I remember being like, "Oh, that's it." Then there's definitely some sort of like this yeah. is the this is proof now. Now these casts are proof if they have uh, dermal ridges that can't be faked. And it's not mm-hmm. that they're being faked; it's just an artifact in the casting. So, uh, yeah, let's. We have another letter here. These are great. I I really want to get to a point where if if you're a listener of the show and you like to you, you have something you want to hear us talk about or you want to talk to us about something, send us in a letter sasswhatmail at gmail dot com. We'll read it on the show and then discuss it, and maybe we can get to a point where we'll get enough letters that we could do like a a listener mailbag episode every month or something. So. We got a letter from Bradley. He says, Hi, I've been enjoying the show and thought I'd write in response to the last episode. Skepticism. I'd consider myself a skeptical optimist, hopeful enough in the quality of something like Sasquatch to maintain interest in the topic and give claims of evidence some of my time, but highly skeptical about the plausibility and the evidence that has been put forth. I'm a professor of biology with my doctorate and training in animal ecology and behavior. This fall, I will be teaching a course on monsters that will largely focus on the Bigfoot phenomenon, albeit as a way to examine a number of issues related to the nature of science, popular culture, etc., I want to take that course. I'll even be employing my students in extracting data from the BFRO sighting report database to perform the first statistical analysis of Bigfoot sightings, hopefully something I can publish in a scientific journal. I had a few thoughts that I'd be curious to hear discussed. There are reports of Bigfoot-type creatures from nearly every state and many countries of the world, including in areas that seem biologically impossible. Most believers seem to admit this, but claim that not every sighting has to be legitimate. My concern is that the believers are willing to discount some sightings due to implausibility, but the more plausible sightings in Washington State, etc., have just as reliable of witness testimony. If mistaken identity or lying or hoaxing can be used as an explanation for a sighting in Central Park, why can't it be used for a sighting in this year in Nevada? Is this logically consistent? Let's get into that real quick. I'm not... I don't know, like a... a I don't have an example in my head of like someone discounting something simply because of a geographical location. If someone sees a Bigfoot in Central Park, I mean, that's like, I'm trying to think of something to compare that to, like something real world to compare that to. It'd be like seeing a grizzly bear in Central Park. Like mm-hmm. only a grizzly bear is much more li- likely because we know they exist. But I would discount <laughs> that kind of report as well. So I think I think it probably just comes down to to the plausibility, not necessarily. Well, I guess what's the question here, Mark? He's he's basically saying like if a completely plausible person were to come forward and say I saw a a, a Bigfoot in Central Park, and then you compare that to a, a just as you know likely candidate saying the same thing in like Washington State, the Central Park person's cast out, but the the Washington State person is automatically accepted because mm-hmm. it's a plausible witness in a plausible location. Right, right. Well, once again, we're talking about eyewitness testimony and some of the inherent problems with it. Um, one of them being that you know we can't help but having a bias towards uh, the information that we receive, and we, that touches on two things. One is people that we identify as credible witnesses. Um, you know, if we consider some, you hear that all the time in Bigfoot studies, such as they are, that this was a credible witness. And uh, that may be true, but, you know, I I think we'd have to allow for once in a while 
a, a non-credible witness could see something real and uh, a credible witness could lie or conflate something or misidentify. Um, but the way that we work is if we go into a situation trusting the eyewitness source, then we're going to give them a huge benefit of the doubt. And uh, that's a bias. You just have to acknowledge that. Uh, and the same holds true then for a location. Um, we have biases about places where we think uh, criteria exist that would make it more plausible or less for a Bigfoot to exist. So that's going to influence how we take that report. And it's really, I mean, I, I think the point in a lot of the the stuff that I've seen here just recently says it's really not possible to evaluate a uh, eyewitness report completely objectively yeah. as much as we like to throw that language around. Sure. It, it's We can't. Sure. We just can't. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I agree as as someone who just, you know, made this movie with his family who I constantly say I totally believe and I, I do believe that something happened to the Catons. But having said that, it doesn't mean they couldn't be lying or someone couldn't be lying. No, I could be lying when I say that I believe Bigfoot's a possibility. Maybe I'm completely closed off to it, but for whatever reason, I'm telling you that. Um, it's it's a weird question uh, in a way because it's hard to answer. Like, I don't know. It's it's. I mean, some of it's gut, like who you're listening to and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's also like if you're interviewing a witness... I don't think a couple of hours with anyone can determine their credibility. I'm sorry. Like, no. I just don't think it's possible. You got to know, like, and even spending day, years or, you know, days with someone might not determine their credibility necessarily. I mean, it's everyone, everyone's uh, fallible. So I don't know. It's a, it's a hard question to answer. Yeah. But I totally. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with the idea of, um, you need an awful lot of time mm -hmm. in order to determine whether or not somebody is a credible and b telling you the truth because and sometimes those things could contradict each other then you're really confused this is why i like the work of ron schaffner because he was so incredibly skeptical of witnesses like even witnesses he trusted and liked he was just very skeptical of all testimony and i really i hate to say it but i think you have to be that way if you're going to get into this stuff and you're going to talk to witnesses because mm -hmm. otherwise you're just going to take everything at face value and and let me say something here and this isn't i don't know so when we get into the, <laughs> to talking about this is where this is how i feel about almost any of these really kind of out there reports like bigfoot's coming out of ufos and stuff like that who mm -hmm. who are the people that are that are making the claims of like the bigfoot getting out of the ufo and how closely are they evaluated when the reports are being given about like Thunderbird reports and like that? That's why I have such a hard time with the really outlandish cryptid stuff because I just don't as a as someone who does research and investigation myself and talks to people and talks to witnesses, I I will never be in a place where I can read some of that stuff and trust the author myself. I just don't. I just don't get it. It's one of the reasons I love the way Lyle Blackburn approaches the subject. Like, Lizard Man is this very... I mean, it's this insane idea, like this lizard creature. But he does such a good job of not only laying out, like, this is what witnesses were seeing, but, like, what are the odds biologically that this thing could exist? And here are some 
alternative theories as to what this could be, you know, that kind of stuff, instead of just Mm -hmm. kind of wholesale uh, accepting any eyewitness testimony. This should have been called, like, the eyewitness episode or something, because I feel like that's all we're talking about, like, the psychology of... Of eyewitnesses, uh, let's. But it is it, it. It's at the center of this subject, really. Mm-hmm. It without it, there. I don't think there would be anything to talk about. Yeah. And I think in the case in the question that you asked, I think one thing that muddies the waters a little bit is the fact that in some of these stranger cases, not all of them, but in a few that I can think of, you have people like uh, state highway patrolmen and um, other law enforcement officers who are on the scene of weird events and experience them and have no explanation to offer. And so once again, that that um, points at one of the bias points, points at one of the ideas that, you know, we've been talking about just now, which is if someone who we don't know from Adam tells us that they saw, you know, a luminescent glow in a field, where a UFO was reportedly sighted, we'd probably write them off immediately. But if a state highway patrolman says, oh yeah, I was there on the site and there was a glow there that I can't explain, now chances are we're going to take that with a grain of salt because of that person's authority. And we have a tendency to say, well, you know, that's somebody who's trained as a observer and so on and so forth. So we tilt, start to tilt more in the direction of accepting sure you know at least their report of that so it all plays into you know who do you trust and why right uh another question what do you make of the diversity in bigfoot anatomy i'm flummoxed by the three-toed prints that are common in the south no other primates have three toes and the evolutionary reduction of digits from the typical five seems to be always associated with some very particular function uh we talked a little bit about this when david um was on um, to is it, what is it? Alligators, crocodiles. We we had this problem. Alligators and crocodiles. Yeah, crocodiles. Uh, they're roaming <laughs> around the south a lot of times. That is what people are saying is a big. It's a double. It's a double tap crocodile print. Um, they've discovered that's a thing. And uh, the other the other big uh culprit in this situation would be hoaxers. Um, the the Boggy Creek tracks are probably faked. I mean, I think that's been established. And the um, wait, is it the Boggy Creek tracks that are faked, or are those the ones that are misidentified? He talks. This is oh. talked about in Lyle's book. I swear to God. Oh, I cannot remember. I, I have to go back and see that. Okay, because the Lizard Man tracks were the same thing, right? Three toes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that was a hoax. Yes. No. Well, we don't know definitively. Allegedly. Okay. Yeah. And then, yeah. The, but your the point is that they were the three toe classic weird print, right? <laughs> and then the Honey Island Swamp Monster is the other one that's like a big, you know, that was the three toed track, and that was pretty much definitively uh, proven to be a hoax. Like they found the the shoes that were making the the tracks and everything. So, mm-hmm. um. I think it's down to hoaxes and misidentification myself when it comes to the three-toe tracks. There aren't enough of them to really make me think. Now, there are... I I did hear of, like, four-toed tracks being found in Ohio, which, I mean, when you get into this, it's like three-toed, four-toed, five-toed, six-toed Bigfoots. It's it's bizarre. Yeah. The, the seven-toed ones are the ones oh, that yeah. really concern me. Yeah. <laughs> I actually 
jumped over one of his questions, which was field biologists like myself spend lots of time in the outdoors, often having to pay attention to subtle details of the environment. For instance, my research has involved countless hours in the woods trying to spot well-camouflaged creatures in the leaf litter. Why do you suppose biologists never find any Bigfoot evidence? And the first thing that jumped on my mind when I read this is, um, isn't or wasn't, well, Grover Krantz never saw one, but he was a, wasn't he a fine, mm-hmm. but what was he? He was anthropologist? No? Yes? No? Yes. Okay. Um, the anatomist or something. Yeah. Okay. And then and then let me think. The other thing. What is the guy's name that that works with? Uh, he's been on Les Stroud stuff, and he's always involved with Meldrum. But he's a. Jeez, this is embarrassing. He's a famous <laughs> Bigfoot dude. Older guy. That hmm. kind of looks like Krantz. Oh, John Bendernagel. Yeah, Bendernagel. Wasn't he a yeah. biologist? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other the other thing that jumps to mind is um, is Alton Higgins, who's with the NAWAC, kind of heads up the NAWAC. If I'm not mistaken, he's a field biologist. So there are people that are involved in that field. I don't know that they've had direct sightings while out there. Um, again, just just because you're in, in you know, out in the outdoors and, and hiding and all that stuff doesn't necessarily mean your chances for seeing a Bigfoot are automatically increased because there's hunters who are out there just as much and, you know. Yeah, in the letter, is he talking about evidence? He's like, That's what I couldn't... Lack of evidence in the field because, you know, the question becomes, well, what are you looking for? Right. <laughs> what what What's the evidence that would... Uh, Say that this is a Bigfoot versus another. Creature. Why do you suppose? I mean, eye, anyway. Why do you suppose biologists never find any Bigfoot evidence? Is what he's actually saying. So, in my opinion, I think some of them have. And the other thing I would say is that I would imagine a lot of them, if they don't believe Bigfoot exists, they probably just ignored whatever they did find, you know, and say, "Oh, it's a double tap bear track," or right. This is. I mean, what what options do we have outside of tracks? Yeah. Hair. Yeah. Scat. I mean, all that stuff that we're used to talking about. I mean, you'd either, I don't know, pass over it, identify it as something else, or, you know, then there's the hoaxing deal as well. Um, I think we're going to wrap up. Thanks to our letter writers so much for writing in. And do write in if you're a listener, and we will try to do one of these mailbag-type episodes, maybe. I I kind of enjoy doing these. So, so, um, yeah, send them in. And... Uh, thank you, especially if you're a listener of the show. We reached another milestone by the time you're listening to this. Anyway, we're at like 200,000 total downloads all time over 55 episodes. So that's pretty cool for our little show. And just uh, thank you to everyone for listening. And uh, if you like the show, just keep sharing and, and all that stuff. And let's uh, head for another 55 episodes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breeds Love. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes.